Do you like movies? Do you like TV? Do you like discussing the temporal effects of non-linear time travel and its implication on the plot of the movie Looper? Uh, okay. Do you enjoy the latest in pop culture news? Do you enjoy superheroes? Do you enjoy discussing the relative merits of superpowers and their effects on human physiology? Anyways, if you enjoy these things, even a small amount, you'll love the Rusted Robot Podcast. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, YouTube, and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Subscribe so you never miss an episode. TheRustedRobot.Podbean.com Ahoy, fellow time travelers, and welcome back to the Doctor Who Target Book Club, the podcast, I'm not doing that voice, the podcast (laughs) in which we undertake the bountiful task of discussing in story order all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whit, and today we have an equally bounteous three-person discussion panel, including our so-called expert, who's been a Who fan since 1979, that would be me. There is also our intermediate-level casual fan who has seen several episodes, but has not previously read any of the books until these podcasts, and this time, it's the worthy Dalton Hughes. Hello, Dalton. Hello! And that is his cat, Guanju. <clears throat> yes. You can hear in the background. And finally, there's our suddenly novice fan, one who has seen little to none of the original series, does not previously read any of the books except for the ones we've done for this podcast, and this time around, it's the wise and witty Allison Fitch Seyfried. Hello, Allison. Good evening. Good evening. Before we get to talking about the book, please remember our new Patreon page, available at patreon.com forward slash dwtargetbc. Depending on the amount you give per month, you'll receive, among other possible goodies, a randomly chosen BBC book, not a Target book. We know you have them. (laughs) As a gift for supporting us, just to say thank you for being willing to help us stay on the virtual air. There is a video at that page telling you about our sweepstakes. We're still doing it. If we hit our goals, if we hit our particular funding goals by 4618, then somebody, one of our new patrons, will get the beautiful, beautiful version of the first edition of Doctor Who and an exciting adventure with the Daleks in its original pink dust jacket. So by all means, please, please, if you want that, then... I'm going to be in the original Vulgate or something Well, like yes, that. in the original <laughs> Vulgate. As usual, we'd like to thank our regular patrons, Bart Lammy, Rick Taylor, and Toby Bengelsdorf. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, guys. We're still hoping that there will be more who will join them, because we can give their names until they decide they finally don't want to give us any money anymore, but we'd like some, you know, more names to tell. This time, we're discussing Terrence Dick's novelization of Brian Hale's script, The Smugglers. Without further ado, here are some fast facts. Doctor Who, The Smugglers, adapted by Terrence Dix from the Brian Hale script that aired from 9 10, 66 to 10 1, 66, published by Target Books in June 1998. As of this recording in March of 2018, this title is currently out of print, 128 pages. The Smugglers was the first story to air in the fourth season of Doctor Who, hence it's also the first episode in our fourth season here in the podcast, and boy do these seasons whip by. But as we noted last time, it was also the last one recorded in Season 3, right after the recording of The War Machines. This was the practice at the time to give the actors an extended break before the grueling process of filming began again. 
It was also the first story to include major location shooting, taking the team all the way to Cornwall on the uh, southwestern coast. Oh. Yeah, which is, yeah, they needed to get out of the house, so they did. Unfortunately, it was also during the filming of this story that the production team finally decided that Hartnell's deteriorating health would not allow him to continue working on the series. He was having tons of trouble remembering lines and getting through scenes without, you know, throwing a hissy. So is that why he's not in the story very much in the book compared to others? That's part of it, yeah. I mean, did, did they rewrite kind of as they went to allow I don't think so. Okay. I think the Doctor really just isn't much in these later stories because they're trying to uh, make it easier on Hartnell, but given how little he is in this story, the very fact that they uh, felt that that was too much yeah. is probably a bit of an issue. This would normally have been the time for them to sign a new contract for the next season, but it's unclear whether they extended his contract for the next sto- for just one more story or whether it was handled as a one-off payment. At any rate, when production began, again for the fourth season, Hartnell was cast only for the first story, and in fact only appears in three episodes of that one, because, believe it or not, he had health issues and had to take the third one off. Mm. And luckily they had already written the script just in case that was going to happen. And his successor had already been cast, but more about that gentleman much later. As far as this story goes, it tends not to be well remembered or liked, mostly because none of it exists despite its being sold in Australia. In fact, as we stated before, there was so much violence in this story that the ABC, as they did with so many other stories from this period, cut the violent bits, kept them and then return the originals, which would then be junked. So we have the violent stuff. We have scenes like Jamaica being stabbed to death, but nothing else. And that's really a pity, since the Telesnap show, they spent a lot of money on this one to make it look good, but none of that really comes across on the page. There's also some color 8mm film taken by an enthusiastic fan on location, but none of it's terribly revealing. And it also had the lowest viewing figures of any Hartnell story ever. And this was a season opener. That tells you something. Mm. I'm hesitant to say anything about the original writer, Brian Brian Hales, yet. Even though this is the second of his scripts that we've read so far. Uh, The first was the uh, Celestial Toymaker. (laughs) Yeah. The reason for that is that despite these first two stories not having much of an impact, he's eventually going to create two major things for Doctor Who. One of them being one of the most famous lower-tier villains in the series, which would be the Ice Warriors. So good that they came back for the new series twice. I'd rather we talk about him more since uh, when we get to that first one, since there'll be plenty more to say about him at this point. So some of the most famous unfamous villains? Kind of. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Everybody, famous? Yeah, everybody knows Daleks. Everybody knows Cybermen. A lot of people don't know Ice Warriors. So it's kind of like that. We also talked about Terrence Dix in our Planet of Giants episode, and given how many of his we're soon going to get, I'll just refer everyone to that one for now if you want a a biography of Terrence Dix. This is not the last ever Hartnell novelization. That was Planet of Giants, also Terrence Dix. But it certainly has that feel of an era ending, and we'll see even more of that in the next book, which is The Tenth Planet. Strangely enough, this story is considered to be a loose sequel to The Curse of the Black Spot 
from the new series, since it tells the story of how the Black Albatross, which was crewed by Avery's former mates, went looking for the treasure that Avery was hauling in the fancy. And this is all according to the TARDIS Data Core wiki. I didn't like that story because I'm just going to get this out of the way right now. I do not like pirate stories. I do not like smuggler stories. And I fucking hate historicals. That being said... (laughs) Let's talk about this story. All right, let's talk about this one, shall we? Allison, let's get your first impressions on this one. Well, I'm similarly disinterested in pirates, so I'm a little not not biased against. I don't have a hatred, just a lack of enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't that excited going in. Also, I I liked the first Terrence Six one that we read more than I expected to because it was the first one of these that I'd read, and I expected it to be such a dud that I was surprised it was actually entertaining. Right. Um, But now I've had better from the series. (laughs) As far as Dix goes, you've had better. If there is, if I am closely quizzed on what happened in the second half of the book, I will not do very well because I stopped caring. Mm -hmm. There is a fair amount of plot that goes on, but I just lost interest pretty far in. Uh, But I will say that um, the the high point I thought was that he has not not very detailed, but some amusing characterization for Ben and Polly, Mm -hmm. and uh, Mm -hmm. gives us more. More amusing banter and cleverness and, and humor from them than we got in you know, two or three you know, Devon uh, and Stoto stories. <laughs> well, and Stoto. there you go. Devon and Dodo stories. There you go. Potato, potato. <laughs> There's two of them. There's a male and a female. I think they're yeah. different heights. They come in at different times. Yeah. Yeah, no, they all. There, it's not. It's not exactly what you'd call a detailed character sketch, right. but they they have some nice, easy, fun adventure moments in there that I enjoyed. Okay. Yeah, you you get more of who they are just through their actions. You don't you don't need really much description. Just them being themselves. Yeah, gives us a feeling yes. of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm I'm kind of with the two of you. I actually like pirate stories. I remember being a kid and uh, loving. Uh, Disney's live-action Treasure Island film, oh. uh, Swiss Family Robinson. Mm-hmm. So, like, pirates were kind of my thing. Um, pirates of the Caribbean came out right after I got out of high school, and I, I liked that enough. It's kind of gotten out of hand. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, this one, it just it feels kind of like, eh. Yeah. Just like a, all right, we're going to throw in some names from history, but we're not going to really give you much to go by, and this is just, like, mm-hmm. phoned in. Yeah, of. and it's incredibly low stakes, too, because when the doctor says, um, Ben and Polly are saying, well, we can leave now, right? And the doctor says, no, I've affected events here. We need to stay. And you realize he's not talking about any historical events. He's just talking about this village not being killed by this yeah. group yeah. of yes. uh, pirates. <laughs> I think he says it is. I've become involved in local affairs, which I took as, you know, I'm involved in various dalliances in the village. I can't quite go yet. Exactly. He was not, he think was supervising them more than participating. Yes. Yes. But, but in the end, like, whether they left or not, all the pirates were drunk on brandy from finding the, the smuggler's loot. So, like, yes. whether they stayed or not, the, the events that transpired would have happened. They probably the militia have. would have come in and blown the smithereens because you're all drunk. True. Yeah, so you have to wonder exactly what they did to actually change anything. You spoke of a sense of an end of an era. This is arguably the least profound one that I can recall in terms of contemplations of 
who or what is the doctor? What's his experience? How is it different? He thinks about aging and time and his different companions and his journey. And we had almost an absentee doctor here. He's literally out of the story for much of the time. But in a novelization, if the writer wanted to talk more about sort of the end of, of, of this era, of this particular doctor, there's definitely room to do that. I mean, yeah. you don't have to dig up Hartnell and force him to perform in order to be able to talk about that. Right. He doesn't seem really, uh, Dix doesn't really seem interested in that. Yeah, which is very strange because that is kind of a missed opportunity. I mean, we look back and we see somebody like, um, oh God, the name of the author who did Galaxy 4. M's, William M's. We get William M's of all people with that one shot story kind of doing all that stuff with it. And that's a full season and a half before this. But yeah, it's not taking the opportunity, which is unusual. Often in the first couple of pages, there's a paragraph that's sort of the Mm -hmm. author's take on this doctor. We don't have anything like that here. No, no. And he's written him before as well. Yeah. And in fact, we have seen. It, we have seen Dix do a very good take on Hartnell before, with uh, Dalek Invasion of Earth. Remember, it was the month. Of, it was the month of Dix. Yes. yes. And we did the yes. really yes, bad ones, yes, and then and we did the Dalek Invasion the two of Earth. Us. Yeah, and but it that's... was the two of you. Yes, it had a really striking opening scene setting. I remember less about. I talked about the Dalek. Yes, about, along the off the shell of a man. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, it had that London. striking, yes. yeah. 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 And that's that's Dick's when he's at his pinnacle. So, yeah, we've seen him do Hartnell well. We've seen him do Hartnell badly. This is somewhere in between, but it's more towards the positive than the negative. Yeah. He's hardly doing him at all. He's writing him... It's detached. He's writing him yeah. like he writes Stephen or Dodo. There's yeah. this person who performs a function. There is that. He does have, I mean, you know, a, few, a few gags here and there. Um, he is... Uh, so happy to be able to smirk at Ben that he doesn't mind that he got them, you know, lost once again. Once again, um, you know, I'm very much afraid, young man, that you're out of luck. Ha ha! We're the 17th century, even though I told you we'd be elsewhere. <laughs> so there are some moments like that, yeah, but exactly. not much to work with. Yeah. No, there aren't. There aren't. And the sad part is, Hartnell deserves a little bit more out of his penultimate story. We deserve a little bit more, I think, out of the penultimate novelization. I would argue that given how paper thin the story is, Dix actually gives it to us. Um, <laughs> Dix gives it to he us. Gives yeah. <laughs> that he gives us the best we can expect. Mm. Because, I mean, think about Planet of Giants. The thing that we hated most about that was that it was such a razor thin plot. And that was an expansion of what was originally there because yeah. they cut out a whole episode. Here, he's expanding, and he's doing it by giving us some good characterization. I, I like the pirates, strangely enough. I think Cherub is hilarious, for one thing. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good humor there. Yeah. And almost more sinister than Pike. Oh, yeah. Almost you know, more. Mm-hmm. Just, he he seems totally cold-blooded. Yeah. Whereas Pike is, a, you know, as the doctor calls him a gentleman, he's a little more world-weary and, uh, you know... Being yes. the captain, but exactly. but yeah, Cherub is no yes. no. I'll kill anybody if I have to. Yeah, and one of the most one of the fam- most famous images from this story, and it comes from a telesnap, is Cherub holding a knife to the the doctor's throat, and the doctor's just looking at him like so. <laughs> yeah, impassively. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a brilliant moment, and you're like, thank God they give the doctor something like this, but. You have to wonder what the produ- 
what the performance must have been like on screen because to be honest i didn't listen to all of this one as i normally do dear listeners i just couldn't stomach it (laughs) i couldn't get through it oh it was so difficult what else oh i found it interesting that Terrence sticks actually gives us some information some basic information about police boxes Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because 1988, and by then they're gone, most of yes. them. It's the sort of info dump that we get in um, Boomtown in the new series. The Christopher Eccleston doctor has to tell Mickey, "Oh yeah, these used to be all over the place. This isn't just a design whim on my part." Right. Yeah. 1966. You know, they're soon to disappear. This one's going to disappear much sooner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. For other reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that nice opener where the doctor is annoyed that they are along, didn't invite them, would like them to not stay. Yeah. And actually says, gosh, I really thought I was going to be alone again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is interesting, given in the massacre, he so was upset about being alone. But I think that's the circumstances under which he got left. Mm-hmm. Because Stephen was walking out under really bad circumstances. But there's yeah. nothing fleshed out about him not wanting to get attached to any more companions no, no more young people they just leave or you know, terrible things happen to them just no. oh yeah people i don't like people. yeah <laughs> just kind of unexpected especially these two people um and we we uh we touched on this a little bit last time about how they get into the box being yes. different in this story than how it's was in the last one mm-hmm. cuz the last one it's it's the doctor, the door is still open, and they kind of right. s- s- sneak <clears throat> in. Well, they've got the extra key, which yeah. is actually what happens in the story. So, it, so. this is this is written how it is on screen. Yeah, he's making the assumption you haven't seen or read the War Machines by this point, which is a good assumption to make. Yeah, yeah, because it it wasn't available yet. In fact, they considered the War Machines. I forgot to mention this last time. They considered the War Machines a lost story until I think the late nineties. 1984, as it turned out, so-called expert indeed. And then finally found an almost complete copy of it in Nigeria or someplace. But um, this one, yeah, they're still looking. Actually, I don't think anyone really cares to be looking for this. But even that bit at the very end We're of... the worst here <laughs> with, our, with our apathy for this story. It really is. But that yeah. bit with the tourists across the street seeing the TARDIS disappear, mm-hmm. that actually is the last scene in The War Machines. Mm-hmm. Which is awfully lovely. Yeah. So there's that. But yeah, that's about it, really, that's interesting about that intro. And, I mean, I suppose. They establish early on that, well, I don't know if this is how they're going to be portrayed in the series or just how Dix portrays them here, that Polly's the smart one and Ben's the funny one. Which is thin characterization, but it works yeah. for the purpose of the story. She's the one who comes up with the plan for the straw doll in the prison and making the the person uh, oh, yeah. making Tom think that it's uh, that they've uh, performed some sort of witchcraft yeah. or something. Uh, but then he you know, goes along with it very gamely and you know has, gets a lot of humor out of yeah. it. Ben is going to be established as the skeptic <clears throat> more than anything else, whereas Polly is just game for whatever. She is on. There's a nice little callback to the scene with the witch doll. Um, Whenever, yes. whenever they like, they tell Tom, Tom yes. yes, the doctor is a wizard, and yes. we are, we only have the powers we have because of him. And you're one of us now. Yes. That you've been yes. And then when Tom sees the doctor again, he just has this like shocked look on his face, like, oh man, this is that powerful yes. wizard they were telling yes. me about. 
Oh, it's hilarious. But then he, he later wonders, well, why didn't they just ride their brooms over to the right. next location? <laughs> right. So it was the urchin Tom, the innkeeper's boy. What are you screaming for? And Ben replies, oh, we're just happy mates, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's not the most sophisticated humor, but there are some no. nice, easy laughs in here, and most of them are lines yeah. that he writes for Ben. Well, certainly, um, before you got here, I was talking with Dalton about the fact that this is the closest to a Scooby-Doo story that Doctor yeah. Who ever gets. Because it really does feel like, oh, zoinks, we've got to find the treasure before everybody else does. And we have this 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 um, run name that nobody can remember. And, oh my god, it's the easiest puzzle ever. Ugh. Well, it is, but it isn't. Because the, the name Deadman, yeah. it's... it's sounds like dead man and exactly. pirate so that's the riddle is really like it's hidden in plain sight true um exactly but but for a riddle yes it's yeah. it's fairly easy you half expect somebody to come out and be tied up and then have the doctor pull off their mask and say professor hide white yeah yes. it's got that feel to it yes might have gotten away with it too it wasn't for these blasted kids and their dog I mean, speaking of tied up, you could fill out a two-part episode of Wild Wild West with all the people who were tied up in this story. Know, right? To the point where it starts to become unseemly. So, at one point, Ben <laughs> runs into the sea cave. He finds out the squire is captured and tied up Polly, who then ties up Ben. Meanwhile, Ben forgot that he tied up the revenue or left him somewhere else. And walks by. Oh yeah, I tied that guy up. He was sort of like a backlog of tied up people. <laughs> and, uh, Just waiting to be found again. Yes. 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 There's Can't remember of, who tied them up. There's a lot last. of available rope on the Cornwall coast, apparently. Yes. Yeah, and a lot of people getting knocked out, which yeah. makes me think, God, that that really, it really kind of sucks to be a Doctor Who companion because you can bet you're going to have brain damage for the rest <laughs> of your life. I don't think they're actually doing it, are they? No, they're well, walking, well, no, they're no, obviously. Actually hitting them on the head. No, no, the actors are fine, <laughs> but the the characters. It's no wonder Dodo changed personalities all the time. <laughs> Except yeah. I can't remember her ever being knocked out. Was she ever knocked out? No. But isn't aren't Ben and Polly both knocked out in this at some point? Ben definitely <clears throat> was. Yeah, he definitely gets knocked out. Polly was a bounding gag, but I don't know that she was ever knocked out. Okay. Um, but it's still, coming. that's traumatic. It's, it's coming. Yeah. <laughs> It'll eventually happen, you know. <laughs> just waiting for it. It's just a given. Um, well, what else? What is there to say? About I just, uh, I, I kind of I made the comment er- earlier um, on the, the way here that. I kind of felt like I was writing a really slow version of Pirates of the Caribbean at yes. Disney World. It's Very slow. Like, okay, well, here's the stereotypical pirate thing <laughs> that's going to happen. And, oh, yep, here we are. And there's the hook. And there's this. Mm-hmm. And there's that. And it's... Yeah, all we needed was an alligator with an alarm clock in its belly. Shame on you, upsetting the poor captain. There'll be no end outs to die. She now, she. Go on, go on, off it. Awfully awesome. Go away, go away, go away. Out of here. A lot of plot callback to, was it the meddling monk? 
Yeah. That's all four. So we've got the... You know, yeah, the time medal. They're, they're, oh, time medal. Yes, mm-hmm. sir. But they had the meddling monk in it, if I'm not conflating two different stories. They're waiting for the coastal invaders yes. in the village. They're in a different century. They're you know, mm-hmm. many centuries apart. But the, the particular detail that was kind of interesting to me is... Uh, Doctor still doesn't know how to park his TARDIS, not in the water, <laughs> and doesn't recall the tides are a thing. And yes. both of those stories, like, oh my goodness, the tide is coming in, we'll lose access. Like, uh-huh. he hasn't done that before. Exactly. And then the <laughs> really specific thing uh, was this sort of hiding in a sarcophagus in a church. Oh, yeah, that's right. Where, isn't that where the meddling monk used to park his TARDIS? His TARDIS was a sarcophagus. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I could, yeah, there are some, I'm, I'm wondering if Brian Hales was just not, you know, stealing a whole hog it seemed, of it. yeah, sort this. of cribbing, is, from is, cribbing. Is, is anything, because they're not necessarily similar themes, it doesn't really have right. themes, there's no. really no Nothing. meta anything. Uh, no, this is very all. much on yeah. the surface, the story. Yeah, here we are. Suddenly they heard a rumbling, grinding sound. The tomb just ahead of them has started to move. They duck behind the nearest pillar and watch from their hiding place as a stone oblong of the tomb swiveled one side to reveal the entrance to a downward-leading flight of steps. That's almost exactly how the meddling monk enters his TARDIS. And I would have been very excited that he was back if you hadn't told us that we would never hear from him again. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Mm. It seems like this is almost like the time meddler, but with the good stuff taken out. But like that story, there's a weird mix of humor and violence. Mm-hmm. So that would have like a big gang rape scene. Yes. Not detail, but then we had the doctor. But we know it was a violation. Yeah. The doctor, who was supposed to be in many ways so intuitive, you know, runs into the victim again several times in the story. It's just, you know, it's just, oh, she seems to be acting yeah. rather strangely. It's kind of a strange, callous depiction of him. But here um, we've got the church warden who's been murdered early on. Uh, and Polly and Ben are pretty calloused about the whole thing. <laughs> uh, that old bloke must have been knocked off pretty soon after we left, Polly shuddered. Maybe the murderer was hiding down here all the time. Ben shrugged. Could be. Perhaps the old boy kept his money box down there or something. Polly laughed. He looked like a bit of a Scrooge, didn't he? I'm like, wow, the body wow. is literally still warm. That's the I know. They, so, they kind of picked up on this whole lark very quickly, didn't they? But it's not uh, really dark enough to be macabre humor no. either. It's kind of a weird middle ground. You know. And more, it's more tasteless than dark humor, right? And I was I, honestly, when I was listening to the audio, expecting it to go in that direction of comedy. It doesn't. It just doesn't. Uh, that's not Brian Hale's um, strong suit. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do that really. And uh, nor well, Dick's Dick's actually puts more humor in this book than there was in the original, as far as I can tell. But it's all very much in the one-liners, not in certainty of yeah. situation. Yeah. yeah, I'll agree. And I'm noticing one of my notes. Um, I may rail against Dick's every now and then, <laughs> but say what you will, his physical descriptions of characters are often photo-specific, and that's a nice bit, that if you can't really do anything with the plot, at least tell us down to the detail what the person looks yeah. like. Because Cherub is described in just loving detail. With, and it's like, yes, with yes. notable exceptions. Well, yeah, that's true. There's some that aren't. Okay, so we've got the presumably Jamaican pirate named Jamaica. Jamaica, which, by the way, is the first black actor with lines in Doctor Who, as mm. far as we can tell. Yeah, this is something I've been telling them a lot about, uh, folks, but this may be news to listeners out there, unless I've gotten it completely wrong. But yes, Jamaica actually uh, was a black actor with lines on screen. Amazing. 
Lest I missed a passage of description in there, he is described exactly twice in four words total. The first time, huge Negro, and then a few pages later, giant Negro. Yes. Now, I understand that language changes in what is considered a respectful term in one decade is considered quite regressive in another. Right. But here's how he describes the revenue when he first comes in. A solidly built, square-jawed man, middle-aged, well-dressed, with an air of authority. Not enormous white. Right. He's, he's also right. a large man. And the squire, I don't really understand the description. A big, florid-looking man, buff and authoritative, yet somehow jerky and nervous at the same time. Kind of hard for me to synthesize. And yeah. florid describing some other language is confusing to me. But also, once again, not... Mm. Big old white. Yeah. Well. So we know that he can describe in loving detail, even if it's confusing if he wants to. But literally, those are the two descriptive phrases. And he can do better. I agree. Episode was in the 1960s, but this is the late 80s. Yeah, this is 1988. He knows better. This is the year I graduated high school. He can do better. Yeah, he really can. Um, And and I wouldn't wouldn't be so off-put by it if it weren't for the detailed description of other actors. Right, yeah. Big and black is all that we get (laughs) for Jamaica. No other description. Of his actions, yes, but the person. Well, I do wonder, though. It's not actually a a sort of personality type or character descriptor. It really isn't. (laughs) But I am wondering whether, again, we're looking at it and saying um, maybe it isn't as offensive in Britain in 1988 as it would be for... Britain of 2018. But I'm saying even if that, even if the, him using the term Negro is not as abrasive as it would be in the United States in 1988, it's the two-wordedness. The other words are huge and giant, whereas he has much more to say about the others. I understand the language can change contextually, but the detail of description he has for others versus this character is striking. Striking says that he he does it twice. It's truncated. It's like, all right, well, here's this character. He could have given us more. Yeah, and compared to... Does he have any other physical features? No. Who knows? No, right. apart from uh, rings, um, earrings, hoop earrings. I For some reason, I'm remembering hoop earrings. I might be mistaking him with somebody else. I don't know. Well, you saw him die in Australia. Yeah, well, thanks to the Australians, <laughs> I got to see him die. There is someone described here as yes. earrings. It could be someone It else. could be him. But given that Jerry Davis, in the very next book, which would have been written in 1974, no, 76. Also describes the black character in that book as an American Negro, but then does so much more with it because the character has more. I think it's just a matter of there's not much to Jamaica to do with. Yeah. But, but that being not much said... Description, not much to those other characters. No, I agree. Find he makes something up. I agree. Yeah, that's not letting him off the hook. Not letting him off the hook at all, but it is very, very odd. Um... What else is odd? I can't tell whether or not Like It and Lump It is a uh, yeah, misprint. I, I thought it would be Like It or Lump It. Yeah, that's yes. how it generally is. That might be an incorrect usage. That was a quip. Play it might be. It's because that means to act in a grumpy manner. Lump actually means that. I doubt we'd do that if we liked something, but... I do I do notice some little bit of um, character development on the Doctor's part. He's a lot more cautious being in the past this time. This is the mm. same man who, not that long ago, got himself stuck on a chain gang in France. <laughs> because he was like, oh, dear man, I'm, on, I'm busy. I'm going off somewhere. <laughs> 
And now he's just content to have his little drink and just watch things. He still gets involved, but it's not nearly as bad as it has been in the past. Yeah, and there's there's a point at the beginning where he he there's a little bit of like internal dialogue, I guess, that is him kind of worried about the two companions because this yes. is, is their like their first coming out. Then he lays down you and know. it passes quickly. Well, <laughs> no, he he sees that they are able. Yeah, um, but. Whereas I'm trying to remember, like I, I didn't, I didn't have the first uh, Ian and Barbara stories. I still haven't read those. All right. Um, but I'm just trying to think back, like what other companions' first story would be, were they put in like as dangerous of a situation? Oh, much more. Except in that particular story, if we're talking about either an unearthly child or the Daleks, because they both tell the story of how Ian and Barbara. Join the TARDIS yeah. twice. Um, they're put in dangerous situations and the Doctor's not in control either. Yeah. So at least here he's more in control and is more the captain of the vessel, to, so to speak, to use a nautical term. Is it ever... Um, has it ever come up whether Barbara and Ian are his first companions? Other, I mean, other than... than uh, Canonically. Susan? Canonically, people... Yeah that they are his first two companions besides Susan. There are, there are stories yeah. that are set in the gap between their leaving Gallifrey and that first story. There are very few of them for a very good reason. Those stories are very odd to read. Yeah. The one in particular jumps out at me because the doctor, the first doctor, is characterized almost like a swashbuckler in it. And it's like, no, no. And he's actually saving Susan from being kidnapped. And it's like, no. No, no, that's not the first Doctor. Yeah. Whereas, there's a really fascinating one, and I'm going to go off on a tangent here for a minute because this is much more interesting than this book is. <laughs> um, back when Telos Publishing, and you'll know that word quite soon, Telos, Telos Publishing did a novella by the horror writer Kim Newman, who actually happens to be a Doctor Who fan. And I can't remember the name of it to save my life, but it's told from Susan's point of view. It takes place during that winter of 1963, which was the coldest on record for the longest time. And that the cold itself was some sort of sentient force that the Doctor had to fight off. And that sort of story works because it doesn't necessitate having human companions. Yeah. But that's the only one I can remember. So yeah. Barbara and Ian, definitely his first companions. And and I think, to get back to Ben Polly, I think the quote-unquote hiring process has gotten a lot better, a little more streamlined. Yeah. TARDIS HR is a little more... <laughs> yeah, more you know. It's like, okay, we're not going to reject you just yet. Let's test you out. Let's see how you're doing. One signs right. an NDA up front, though. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Employee. We'll give you well, a pro- probationary conduct. period. Well, it's only, it's only valid if both parties sign it. <clears throat> Fair enough. A little bit of topical humor there. No, and if you don't know what we're talking about, just Google it. <laughs> I have no idea what he's talking about. don't have Wi-Fi, oh, so I'll have to do so later. Oh, I thought you were talking about the Trump um, non-disclosure agreement. Oh, I wasn't even being star, that clever. Oh, who, goodness. Whom his own, his own lawyer yes, said, yes, yeah, I, if he didn't sign it, then it's not valid. And they kind of ended that segment of Fox and Friends really quickly. So, um... Uh, Random bit of Germanic 
convention of capitalization here. Uh, Law and Order is capitalized like the TV show. (laughs) And nowhere else in the book do they sort of randomly capitalize uh, nouns in the German fashion there. So that was strange. Okay, where was that, by the way? Oh, goodness. I'm going to get a refill while you do that. I guess it will be edited out, or we assume infinite patience. Or or just feel free to talk amongst yourselves about another point. But Cooper seemed pleased. Then we can guess, I don't know if it's Cooper or Cooper... I think it's Cooper. Okay, we'll check that out in a second. But Cooper seemed pleased. Then we can guess the path that they will take tonight. Twenty well-hidden muskets and they are done for. The squire chuckled. And that's a triumph for law and order, eh? Smugglers destroyed. It just seemed odd that it was like a uh, triumph for Dick Wolf. (laughs) Right. How is it a triumph for law and order? They've been renewed for yet another season? Uh, Just kind of a random odd moment in a book full of random odd moments. The records show for the recording that no one will hear that I've been left alone while everyone else has wandered off to the kitchen. Well, it's not far, so. If we can just stop talking about it. Well, that's why I'm trying to think of other points to talk about, because. Well, we could just go down my notes, because I made, well, I made far fewer notes this time than I normally did, because it was mostly just praising. Sat, get sat down here and I'll say it. Praising dicks? Or praising dicks. <laughs> is mainly just praising dicks for, you know, doing what he could with so little. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some bits of nice prose in here. Um, took care of that continuity error, so that's a good thing. Um, Polly being mistaken for a boy is a lucky break, but then that would have been in the original. Yeah. That's um, kind of like a, a source of... Uh, comedic relief yeah. throughout the story. Yeah. Her kind of every time someone refers to her as a boy just getting <laughs> yeah. a little miffed about it but yes. like she even understands like it's probably a good thing they yes. don't uh-huh. know I'm a female so there's no one but there's no pedophile in pursuit of her. It's well, she, said, she is the only female in the story isn't she? I can't remember another female mm, character. Not that's mentioned Not even outright. a villager that no. I can recall Mm-mm. off the top of my no. head. She just seems to be auditioning to appear on the electric company. Oh, yes. A fashionable denim trouser suit, her long blonde hair tucked beneath a denim cap. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, my. Now, this yeah. word is cap, but this word is cape. Yeah, I can just see yeah. her doing something like that. And, and Ben in his uh, Tom of Finland uh, sailor uniform. Yes, so. yes. Oh, I know. But it was a nice little touch that that oh. was the one that the, uh, the church yes. warden thought was the oddest outfit. Like, oh, it's some young boy here right. in her denim outfit. But then the sailor said, like, what's going on here? Why is he right. wearing that? Well, no matter. Well, you remember how Trey really loves Stephen and thinks he's the most gorgeous godlike creature ever to be in the TARDIS. I feel the same way about Michael Craze, who mm. played Ben. Because <laughs> Ben is just like, oh, blonde-haired boy with black eyes. Oh, good God. And that Cockney accent. Good Lord. Damn it. Matey, I saw you. Saw you whispering in his ear. Saw you chewing on his earlobe. Arr. You know, th- th- there's a lot of that sort of thing yeah. going on, which, of course, you expect. But... Good grief. Character was found on the oh good grief. Um a transition in chapter three. 
They're referring to the old feller. And the very next paragraph says, the old feller in question. <laughs> and it's about the doctor. <laughs> Which is just really, really funny. Um, Some sort of a best and worst example I have here is the doctor is being uh, taken to the ship. And uh, in terms of both a decent imagery if you're writing for children, but also incredible literary laziness, we have this. His villainous captors scrambled monkey-like up the ropes hanging from the side. The remain, And then uh, a few lines later, the remains of a lavish meal served on a silver platter. Like, okay, climbing monkey what's amusing, but his villainous captors, really? Yeah. And then a lavish meal. Anything in particular they were eating? Just, yeah. it, there seems to be a lot of not It really sounds like a description of a screen cap of Skyrim. Not, not trying very hard. Yeah, I'll agree. And the yet, check is already cleared. And yet, in chapter four, we get this. The dilemma was one which the doctor and earlier companions had often had to face. To be found strangely dressed in a strange place mm -hmm. with no very convincing explanation to offer for your presence yes. can cause problems in either past or present. The doctor had become very skillful at deflecting awkward questions, but Polly just didn't have the experience. It's one, arguably mm -hmm. one of the few moments of sort of real feeling and peril in the book. You feel how flat-footed yeah. she is, not knowing how to answer. Yeah, and luckily she does get back to it. She manages it somehow, but they do set a new record for being imprisoned. I mean, yes. they're imprisoned really <laughs> fast. So. Yeah, by chapter four, they're already in prison. Oh. They, that's where they start to establish the dynamic. I don't know if this will continue with Ben and Polly. Of, Polly thinks of the thing they're going to do, the deflection, the strategy, but without being told about it, he figures out immediately what she's doing and follows along yes. and improvises, and they have a nice... I don't. They never went on a first date, right? No, oh, this is the first, first date. Yeah, so <laughs> they have they have actually a nice sort of a nice easy dynamic for people who naturally get along. Yeah. They don't know each other very well. Oh that, yeah, that works in this book. Yeah, and that comes across with the actors yeah. because <laughs> Michael Craze and Annika Willis, you can tell Wills actually get along quite well, and he communicates that well. Whereas I feel like there's. Almost no chemistry of any kind between the doctor and his companions in this one. Right. He's mildly, you know, snarky in the beginning, but mm -hmm. he doesn't interact with them in a way that's particularly individualized. Exactly the way they do interact with themselves. We I mean, will, with one another. We will see that with the next doctor a lot more. Um, as a matter of fact, not to give anything away because we will be. Well, I might as well. We will be talking with John Peel in next month actually about power of the daleks his extra long novelization of the first troughton story and you see a lot of that interplay there but you also see a lot of it in the tenth planet because that establishes that some more adventures have gone by and that the doctor's gotten to know ben and polly and they've gotten to know him so there is kind of this individualized um interaction they have but there's not much because there's not much on screen this isn't and poor Hartnell. Ah, uh, come to think of it, you remember this, Alice, and I still have to show you this. The bio picture that was made of the making of the first Doctor Who story, um, and an adventure in space and time. And There's with, a movie uh, about the documentary about the 
first episode. What? No, no, no. You remember <laughs> this. We watched it on the 50th anniversary. Remember oh, we went yes, to the yes, theater, yes, yes. And then yes, we came yes. home and we watched the biopic with David Bradley from... Uh... <laughs> You're describing a scripted drama about somebody making yes, a documentary about well, something else. Everybody else knows what we're talking about. <laughs> anyway, in the story, when, when they show the doctor, when they show Hartnell having to do photo calls with his new cast members, the one with Ben and Polly goes by really quickly. But you can see just how lost he is. He's like, mm. oh, this show, this isn't my show anymore. Mm. So I'm sure a lot of that is coming through in mm. the story to some degree. Mm-hmm. But not really with any poignant. No. No, that that's going to be the next book. It's a little enough. too lifelike of someone who's just fading away. Yeah. Maybe just a tad bit. Mm. Still, you have to love Polly and Ben. I mean, my God. Especially yeah, Polly. They were definitely the... St- the, yeah. the stars of yeah. the book. Robert complaining the about whole. Terrence Dix. He obviously mm-hmm. creates that here. Yeah. Yeah. And even though the doctor, in the end, helps resolve things, I guess, by holding off Pike in his own ways, you right. know. Um, yeah, ben, ben and Polly really are the two that have most of the action going on. <laughs> even though the doctor ends up on the pirate ship. Yes. Yes, he does. But, but that was, you know... And ends up doing this wonderful uh, tarot card thing. And it's the first time we see Hartnell do this sort of sleight of hand type of thing ever. But it's something that you'll have to get used to with the second Doctor. Because the second Doctor is going to do a lot of that shit. Okay. Yeah, that's going to be trouting all over the place. Just doing all sorts of fun bits. This is the first time we do get Hartnell doing really a fun bit. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a shame because Hartnell was such a... He considered himself a comedic actor. But didn't get a lot of comedic parts because he always looks so mean. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, exactly. Aw, Polly's first binding and gagging. Yeah, a lot more of that coming up. Rare that we ever see the first Doctor eat. I can't remember the last time food was mentioned in a novelization. We're really digging here for the trivia. We like. really are. <laughs> I... And I apologize for that, readers, but if, you're, if you've read this book, you know exactly what we're talking about because... There is not much here, except for every once in a while you get a line like, Flattery was cheap, and you could still slit a man, the man's throat afterwards, at least he'd die happy. Mm-hmm. I love that line. That's yeah. marvelous, but it's lines and bits, little moments. That yeah, come out. It's, it seems like the the meat of this book is... It's not there. Yeah. It's more of a tofu. Yeah. Or seitan. Yes, but not not flavored and deep fried. No. Rubbed in spices. Just sort of from the produce department, still refrigerated in cellophane. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) And even the the parts that are a little more like, I don't know, I feel like there's a lot of description about the pirates fighting. Yeah. And the pirates... um, Finding the, the the loot in in the graveyard and stuff, yeah. but it's it's like like Allison said earlier, it's like the second half of the book. I'm just like I don't care anymore. Yeah. I don't care anymore. There's running and stabbing and right. Something yeah. else like it reminds me. Uh, it's a radio play about Orson Welles directing Sir Lawrence Olivier 
in a production of Eugene Ionesco's The Rhinoceros. And at one point... Is there a scripted drama about making a documentary about this radio play? No, there isn't, so <laughs> shut up. <laughs> anyway, one of the best lines in this is, um, is Orson Welles talking to Lawrence Olivier. He calls him Larry, and he says, Larry... If you can find even the slightest shred of tension in the script, I will go down on you. <laughs> and that's how I feel about this book. <laughs> there is not a single thing that is tense. Mm. It doesn't feel like there's... The foreshadowing is even kind of... It's, it's there just because it has to be. So, yeah. I yeah, mean, even even the the church warden. Is that the, is yeah. that the right word? Mm-hmm. From from then on, the very first person that they meet is giving this, like, sense of dread and also, like, suspicion, but not danger yeah. so much. Just, no. like, just, you're not someone I know, so I'm going to be wary of you. But you haven't given me any reason to feel that way, but I'm still going to feel just that way. Just a little weirdo. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But, like, that's how everyone reacts. Right. We don't know you, so you're automatically, like, a bad person. The bad guy. Right. And this is being made in 1966 when those same pirate smuggler story tropes would have been dated even then. Mm. So it's not like this is going to be new for the audience either. No. Well, fortunately, it's been lost to us. Well, yeah, I guess that is fortunate (laughs) because I can't really tell whether or not Brian Hales would have done something different with it. I know they threw a lot of money onto the screen so it would have looked nice. Yeah. They went on location to Cornwall, so there's that. But apart from that, it's just like there and not even all that much there. And I have to wonder why it is that the same production team that bitched and hollered about doing the gunfighters because they decided they weren't doing historicals anymore, decided to do this. Then they're going to do the first Cyberman story. Then they'll do a Dalek story. And then they'll do another historical story. And it's like... Guys, we already know. No one seems to really like historical stories all that much. Why do such a low-stakes one such as this? What's yeah. the point? We have no answers. No. No, it's just... it's it's. Believe it or not, I'm, I'm ready to go to Goodreads already. I'm ready. I am ready because, yeah. Yeah. I, As I mean, we always do. <laughs> Unless, well, we can do it Everyone is ready for us to move along. <laughs> yeah, everyone's ready to move along. As we always Those do, let's go to Goodreads. Game, let's go to Goodreads. Yada, yada, yada. The average rating for this story out of five stars is 3.25, which is slower than the War Machines, believe it or not. Quite it's still high, though. Julian White gives it three stars and says, Not a story I know well. Hey, <laughs> yeah, you and me both. Possibly one of the very few I never saw. I assume he means on its original um, broadcast. And with my probably least favorite companions, too. Ah, dog. How can you not mm. like Ben and Polly? However, it seemed to roll along well. A historical of new companions in an restricted locale, not counting the ship. A late addition to the early novelizations, and for once that doesn't mean a perfunctory job. And it made me want to see the story, so it must be kind of a success. He, he does have that right. Compared to Planet of Giants, this isn't a perfunctory novelization. The check had indeed been cashed when he wrote Planet of Giants. Yeah. Steve also gives it three stars, saying, 
There are few books as comforting as a Hartnell Pure historical. No, there aren't. This was the last one. Ben and Polly's first adventure on the TARDIS involving pirates, buried treasure, mistaken identity, suspicious locals, and murder. No aliens, no spaceships, just Terrence Dick spinning a yarn, pull up a comfy chair, pour some brandy and sell in. It'd be a cold night out there, yarn. Well, he should have written the blurb on the book. That sounds much more interesting. He than should have. Read. And by the way, if you're wondering why we didn't do the blurb on the book... Again, it's because it's not particularly interesting. There really isn't anything to this plot. There's nothing that the blurb would have clarified about the plot of this book, except for the year that it takes place in, and who the fuck cares. We are so very disappointed with humanity. I know. And finally, Dennis Southall gives it two stars, but says, Swashbuckling tale of pirates, peasants, where were the peasants? Hidden treasure and smugglers Not hidden... getting killed because they were saved by the doctor. Oh, that's it. And smug... But we only know because the doctor told us while he was conducting village affairs. <laughs> that's it. Hidden treasure and smugglers' hidden passages. <laughs> that would have been a very different book. Lots yeah. of twists and turns in the plot. No, there weren't. And quite a few killings. Yes, there were. The doctor cool as a cucumber when faced with death by cutlass. Tidy historical romp. La-dee-da-dee-da. Allison? Yes, Tony? (laughs) (laughs) This is your turn. Out of five stars, what would you give this? I'm going to go with one, which sounds vicious, but it's more of a non-event than presence of offensive material. True. Uh, I talked about his description of Jamaica as a particular disappointment. It's more about what's not here than than what is. Agreed. But one is still an integer, and it's still a positive integer. (laughs) I am considering uh, signing all my personal correspondence from here on out with, To the beach, ye scum, look lively now. That was was a nice line. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, lordy. Alright, Dalton? Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to go low with this one. I think I'm like a 1.5. Wow. <laughs> when they go high, we go low this wow, week. Oh, yeah. I don't... It just... It didn't do anything for me. Like I said, like, I like pirate stories, and this mm-hmm. was just kind of like nothing creative about it, nothing new about it, nothing exciting particularly. Um, I like Ben and Polly. I'm, I'm glad that they are getting along, and you know, falling right into their roles. Um, but yeah, like everything else was just kind of bleh. Yeah. Just bland. Just bland. Like <laughs> Much like our review thereof. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And for me, I'm not much for historicals or stories about pirates, but um, I would actually give this a two. And the main reason I'm giving it a two is because there's some nice Dixian touches in it. Um, this isn't... Absolutely not to be confused with Dickensian touch. No, no, it's Kind of the opposite not. of a Dickensian yeah, touch. Yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not Dalek Invasion of Earth. It's not Dix at his best. It's not Dix at his worst, though. I mean, there's still some good bits here. I'm glad he, you know, gave us that first scene, clarified things from the end of War Machines, did those few lines of nice dialogue. It is unfortunate that he had to refer to the big Negro twice um i still say he could have fixed it by referring to other characters as the giant white the big old honky similar exactly spread it around exactly (laughs) but i don't think there was that much uh there wasn't that much ethnic diversity in the story to do that with unfortunately as there will be in the next one because holy christ you're about to see something interesting next time but there's nothing interesting this time 
this is a this is a this is a two. It's it a really is just kind of there, and <laughs> it's not because Dix is a bad writer. It's not even necessarily that Brian Hales is a bad writer. It's just that this story, there's sometimes bad Doctor Who stories. Sometimes there are mediocre Doctor Who stories, and then there's sometimes Doctor Who stories that just kind of lie there. Yeah. And this one lies there. Yeah, it's it lies not horrific. There. It's not yeah. offensive. And it's it's yeah. kind of muttering arr and it's sleep every <laughs> once in a while. See, and that's I did an accent. Arr, yeah. Arr. So it's pretty awful. Pirate or zombie? Yeah. Do it? We're playing pirate or zombie. Arr, 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 yeah, well, or, yeah, on the violent side, I suppose. I yeah, uh, if you're trying to get off to sleep, I would suggest reading the Dune series instead. That's what I've been doing, and oh my god, more I interesting nightmares. Well, I haven't <laughs> eaten sleeping pills for a while. That's uh. for damn sure. Well, well, thank you guys, <laughs> and thank you, fellow time travelers, for well, just listening to this one, I guess. Next time, however, we will be looking at Hartnell's final story on Doctor Who, The Tenth Planet. We're also going to discuss our favorite First Doctor moments in print and try to decide which writer gave us the definitive First Doctor of the ones we've read. So be looking on Facebook because I'm going to post a poll or I'm going to try to, which is going to ask that same question, which writer you think gave us the best First Doctor in print, if I can figure out how to get the damn thing to work. In the meantime... If you've liked what you've heard here, though I can't imagine that, like us on Facebook at Doctor Who Target Book Club Podcast, all one word with those spaces. You can also visit our mostly pristine subreddit at reddit.com forward slash r forward slash dwtargetbc. And just, and here's the worst part, I have to do a subreddit for this story. God help me. Almost wasted effort. Also, feel free to watch videos of our first 12 episodes. Give us a thumbs up or comment on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter. We're at DWTargetBC. Or subscribe to us via the podcaster of your choice. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play Store. I keep forgetting that one. If all else fails, you email us at DWTargetBC at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening, especially this time. And enjoy your travels. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> That's all right. I'll 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 edit it in because just leave the gap. Who the fuck cares? The points don't oh. matter. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I'd have gotten away with it too. If it wasn't for these blasted kids and their dogs.